Alright guys, uh, today we're going to talk about motivation. What gets you up in the morning? What gets you excited about doing the things that you need to do? Or what drives you towards doing the things that you need to do? Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that and explore um, what, what motivates us. Um, what what motivates you? Well, what motivated me to do this podcast today was that we had to come up with another topic <laughs> that we lacked the motivation to do that. Is that, I don't know, is that a kind of a paradox? <laughs> no, it kind of is. Um, I think it's really interesting because it's, it's hard to, to get motivated a lot of the times. And I feel like I, I, I go, it's, it ebbs and flows for me. I get really excited about something and then... It, it's hard to sustain. It's hard, it's hard to keep that going, be it with exercise or anything. There's very few things that like I am consistently motivated to do. Right. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know, in motivation, so I think of, if you ask what the average person, what motivates them, they're going to say something like happiness or relaxation, which I think are really wrong answers. Mm -hmm. You know, um, happiness is kind of the byproduct of being motivated. Yeah. I don't think it can actually motivate you itself. Um, and relaxation is kind of like the, uh, the you know, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's the time when you're not working, yeah. you know. So it's not really a motivation because how could not working motivate you to work, <laughs> right? I if, think the thing motivation for people is consequences. consequences. Like if I don't do this, there's a consequence. If I don't go to work, I can't pay my bills, if I don't pay my bills, they're going to shut off my power, I don't have a place to live, like the consequence, like if, if I didn't have to go to work, honestly, I probably wouldn't go to work, um, and it, maybe it's because the job that I have isn't something I'm super passionate about anymore, yeah. um, it could be, or it could be that it's stagnated in, um, you know, in, in what I do, but I find it like a common thing that there's very few people I know that are super psyched about going to work. That's true. I think it's because their job doesn't motivate them um, itself. The the activity itself isn't a motivating force. You're right. So the motivating force to going to work is having basic necessities, which will motivate someone. Mm -hmm. Living is a pretty, <laughs> a pretty nice thing. Yeah. But the work that they're doing is not inherently fun. Yeah. I think fun for me is a big motivator. A uh, things that I get really excited about and go through and go ahead and do mm -hmm. are generally things that are more playful, fun, creative. Yeah. Like, um, so I would, when I lived in a communal house before, I had these mm -hmm. ideas of throwing art parties um, yeah. where I would set up canvases, get all these materials together, like pre-cut up um, collage material, get paint palettes together and set up for people to come over and yeah. have these big creation parties. One of my favorite things I did was created like a cut-up poetry um, process that we yeah. were all creating these poems from cut-up poetry. But I literally, for weeks, thought of words and phrases that I wanted in poems and wrote them out, printed them, and cut them up for people to rearrange. Huh. And it was a lot of work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
thinking of it, actually putting Doing it together, it, yeah. making sure it looked nice and stuff, and then presenting it like in a party setting. So it's like people go up to a table and there's cut up poetry there, and it's like little instruction cards on, hey guys, make a poem, uh, take a picture of it, share it to this Facebook group, stuff like that. So. That was all fun to me, and I spent yeah. hours and hours doing it for the only reward of watching other people have fun with yeah. it. And I mean, that's the same thing we used to do with Game Night. Game Night um, was this um, uh, thing that kind of evolved out of uh, a group of friends of mine that really liked board games. And we started doing it um, when I we owned um, uh, the studio. We had a, I used to own a business, a photography studio, and um, we used to do board games at the studio. And it was like oh, nice. really... When I first thought about the idea, or like when uh, when my friend Zach is actual the one that um, came up with it, um, wanted to play board games, we we're just like, oh, but like you know, like like Monopoly, and it was like, no, no, I, there's this really cool game I just kickstarted. I don't remember what the first game that we played was, but it was really fun when we did it. So we started like get, buying all these obscure games. We would go to um, our studio, we would uh, like drink and play board games, and it became like you know, game night became this thing for us. And you know when we eventually uh, uh, you know got rid of the studio and and Zach moved um, to um, I think he moved to Newport Richie or something like that. Um, we still continued it on. We started doing it at Bula. So we would bring our board games to Bula. Other people would bring their games, and it became this thing. And it went on for quite a while. And now it's kind of like I'm losing my drive for it. I still want to do it, and I think that it was. I was motivated to do it because other people had fun doing it. And yeah, as yeah. people started to fall off and it's, you know, it became kind of more of a, uh, uh, we're only doing it because it's expected, it's not really so much fun anymore. I would really like to get back to that point because I really looked forward to it. I really, I really looked forward to it, um, but I don't know what it's going to take to get back to that level of game night is what we do on Fridays and we're going to do it because it's fun not because it's expected not because that's just kind of what we do yeah, but because, because we're really looking forward to it right and it was the thing where we'd bring food and it, would, it became like an event you know um, but yeah, I, I haven't really felt that excited to do it and you know every once in a while that spark comes back but I don't know how to like catching lightning in a bottle I don't know how to get that to be something that I can harness and and bring forth one into it. Like when I do artwork, every once in a while I'll be scribbling on a sheet of paper and it will just be like every line is perfect and, and everything just comes together and the finished product is like that's really cool. But it's really hard for me to get into that headspace, you know? My yeah. brother has figured out a way to just make himself do it. It's like a job. He just gets there and he just produces work and it's really good. Right. How do you get there, you know? Like how do you motivate yourself to do that? And I think that it's getting past the drudgery. It's not always going to be fun, but when it hits, it's going to be great. Hmm. So it's almost like exercise. You know, you're not always going to enjoy doing it, but the end result is what you're going for. So how do you put, keep putting one foot in front of the other? Huh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I think you have to... In a certain sense, so like, so, hmm, things like stresses can demotivate you, like outside stresses. So beyond, like, let's say I have this routine of I'm going to draw like an hour and a half every day and stuff like that. In a, when I'm doing good, when life is easier, when uh, work's going good or whatever, I don't know. Um, 
it's going to be easier. But when you have outside stresses, that's when that time, like that can really become encroached upon and it doesn't seem like it seems like more of a hassle than something that's fun um, because of that regimented style. I don't think I would do good with that, uh, like your brother's approach. Right. It's cool that it works for him um, and you think it would for you maybe. For me, I feel like I would feel a little trapped in that maybe uh, because of outside stresses coming in and out. Now, periods in my life when I haven't had much responsibility, mm -hmm. I've been very motivated in personal things like uh, exercise more, yeah. uh, do more yoga, do more slackline, paint and draw more. Um, but those are just kind of the things that I would naturally go to do in my life. Um, when I don't have to worry about doing anything, that's just what I want to go do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, but yeah, but when you have things that you have to do, it's hard to do the things that you want to yeah. do because even when you go to try, it becomes routine and regimen and seems like I don't want those things to seem like a job to me. Yeah. I would like to be able to do them for the majority of the time and maybe earn income or some kind of living however yeah. off of them but uh I, I would i think that success can breed motivation in a sense that if you are good at something and you do something well and then you receive praise or whatever it is for it it kind of motivates you to do it more oh yeah definitely like when you go to um yeah, when anyone likes something you've done, you automatically want to do something else. Because it's like, oh, well, that was fun. Yeah. Um, which is like other people like having fun, doing, yeah. playing the games or something, is when it becomes more fun. So, like, I think that to a certain extent, I think the reason why my brother's approach works for him is because when he does it, he gets a lot of good feedback from the end result. Yeah. So that has driven him enough to the point where, like, it, he's just driving on his own fuel now. Because when he was going through the trudgery of it, yeah, he would get a lot of good feedback from the end result of it. Because, like, all the stuff he does blows my mind. Like, I'm just like, that is the, the coolest thing oh, yeah, I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, your brother's an know? amazing artist. So the positive feedback from that just kept on coming. So now it's just, like, it's basically when you're trying to, like, you know, start a lawnmower. You know, you got to do, you got to, you know prime it and put the gas in and you know put the oil in and then pull that cord it doesn't always start yeah. up the first time but when stuff's going it's just going yeah you know? yeah and then you like, um once hit you hit the ground running and you don't stop coming <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> exactly was that like a smash mouth yeah yeah <laughs> but, but um yeah like so like, once you get along where we're going though it's easier to start the next time yeah yeah absolutely so there is something to be said about momentum. Um, there's something to be said about uh, continued successes, breeding more success. So I think what's hard for some people is getting through that initial kind of down phase. Because sometimes you start something with like, I'm going to go start exercising to, uh, to you know, lose weight or get in shape or whatever. And then once you start doing it, you're, you have that initial, like, you know, that initial um, motivation to do it. And then if you don't start seeing results or it just becomes really, really hard to do, it's easy to stop doing it. So, to, uh, all right, so I wanna ask you a question now. Do you think there's a difference between 
internal motivation where you have this feeling or drive or impulse to do something, like the initial burst, and then maybe also the follow-up and the going through with it, mm -hmm. is that different from the motivation you get from others, whether that be the praise aspect, mm -hmm. where like people like it, so you go doing it, or you know, like people who your bosses should be motivating you, or um, like outside forces, um, someone's uh, pastor mm -hmm. or spiritual leader yeah. um, could motivate them to do something. You're a uh, or a trainer at a gym instead of self-motivated exercise. Is there a difference there? Um, I think there's a big difference, and I think that it depends on where your um, your values lie. For example, um, if I am not, if I don't have the internal drive to motivate, no trainer, no like you know workout partner, anything like that's gonna make me do it. Yeah, I, I'm just the kind of person that if I want to exercise, I have to have that drive to exercise. Um, I know that like there's a lot of people that if they have a workout partner, it helps them, you know, stay yeah. motivated to work out. I'm not, I, I, I don't care. You know, if I'm not motivated to do it, I'm not going to do it. But when it comes to like my work or my art, someone else being like, that's really good, makes me feel good about what I'm doing a little bit more so than like exercise, I guess. So it really depends on what the subject is, even with work. To a certain extent, if I'm doing my job, and I feel like I'm doing a good job, my boss being like, you're doing a good job, doesn't really mean a lot to me if I think I'm already doing a good job, you know? I'm kind yeah. of very self-motivated in that aspect, too. If I know I'm doing something well, I don't necessarily need you to tell me I'm doing it well. So I, I don't really know what separates that for me. I don't know what separates the art versus, you know, the, you know, my job versus exercise. I don't really know what those things are that drive me to do either one of those things or any of those things but I know that when it comes to certain things I need to be the one that decided I'm going to do this and then as long as I push myself forward I, I'll, I'll get it done but I don't know what causes that internal drive for me yeah <laughs> it just kind of comes and goes you know yeah I definitely feel I've been more successful with self-motivated than outside motivated um I tend to, I think I have a kind of an anti-authoritarian streak Probably. as well, yeah. so like when someone is outside motivating me, I get, I don't know, like stubborn or um, <coughs> maybe we'll do something just to spite it, at le or at least in my head yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm spiting Getting it. Getting back at the man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas with self-motivated things, I've, I tend to feel a lot stronger about and motivated um, which kind of go hand in hand as well, you know, it's like a, motivation's a kind of stubbornness in a way. Um, that, can make, that makes sense. I never thought about it that way, but yeah. Um, it's really strange to kind of try to figure out, just it's self-examine to see what exactly, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, what is the drive on? I think that our society is based around external motivation. You should do this job because you're paid enough to do this job. You know, there's a lot of jobs that you look at an organization, um, and maybe I'm just being naive in this kind of, uh, in, in thinking this is just, why would someone enjoy doing this? I mean, there's some, maybe there's someone out there that enjoys 
being a you know, phone rapper or someone that enjoys, you know. No. <laughs> I mean, they might. Things. I think they might enjoy certain aspects of their job, mm -hmm. but I can't. I don't think. I think there's most employment nowadays, and probably always, um, or for a very long time, has not provided any material inherent satisfaction. Like people don't. You know, the the person that works at the sriracha factory doesn't go into a restaurant, see sriracha on the table, and be like, ah, that's the bottle I put the cap on. <laughs> they don't care, you know. They're not like the um, the woodworker or like the clockmaker yeah. 300 years ago that's like, I made that watch that person's wearing. I am proud. I have this intrinsic value. No. I think you're right, because things are coming off the assembly line. They're just like, pulling yeah. a lever, pressing a button. or I mean, maybe the people that are like, like, repairing the machines or building the machines maybe you know that are doing that kind of work are just like yeah you know I fixed that and without me doing this work then other people wouldn't be able to do their jobs but the assembly maybe. line workers that are like putting caps on or she's like yeah. you know like what do you think the people that are like you know working in like China and Taiwan or whatever that are making the iPhones are just like ah, I made this iPhone like you think like you know I don't think they care I think they're just stressed out and they're like yeah. just really really like driven to death to do this job that if it was up to them and they probably wouldn't do. If they didn't have to feed their families or take care of their basic needs, what would they be doing? Would they be creating great art? Would they be building, you know, like, you know, buildings? Would they be, you know, running their own restaurant? What would they be doing? Maybe if they'd they be cleaning their street. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're I mean, just like, you know what, my street's always dirty. I don't care that my neighbors are throwing stuff around. I want to <laughs> pick it up. And you know what, I think about, the, the, you're right on that because, like, this whole... Uh, I was having a conversation with someone about like, oh, you know, what happens if, you know, things get automated and these, you know, people don't have jobs, you know, what will, if I didn't spend so much time doing, going to work and doing my job, which to a certain extent, I feel like there is a level of need to what I do and I, I really do enjoy helping people. Yeah, um, yeah, of course but there is. if I didn't work eight hours imagine how amazing my yard would look imagine how amazing my street would look I would make sure that like the my little chunk of the world was awesome like I was walking down you wouldn't just sit at home and watch oh. YouTube oh no 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 way wow. no. I mean like it would get very boring yeah exactly I mean I could probably do that for like let's say that I became you know like not not, not wealthy let's say that all my, my basic needs were taken care of I didn't have to worry about food clothing you know like uh, you know housing whatever um, what would I do? Maybe I would just be like a lazy, lazy garbage person for like a week. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Like maybe. I'm giving himself a yeah. week because even when I'm sick, I, I feel like I'm a piece of crap for not accomplishing something during the course of the day. Right. You know? Um, but maybe I'd be a garbage person for like a week. After that, like I'd be looking for something to do. Like I'd be looking for some way to be productive. Right. And I cannot be the only person that is driven to accomplish something. I, you know, no. like, I was walking, um, you know, my dog the other day, and I saw my neighbor's yard, and, you know, her lawn had grown up a little bit, and I'm just like, man, if this, if I had the time and it wouldn't be, like, just super creepy, <laughs> I would totally go mow her lawn. It's a tiny lawn, what the heck, you know, like, what, what, what? she's well, probably too busy to do it. Yeah. It's strange, because there's a lot to bad to say at the south about the south growing up in a small town in tennessee though mm -hmm. 
people would randomly mow your yard and be like, oh, hey, I was mowing my yard and uh, I noticed it was, so I just drove across the street and took care of it. And you're like, oh, cool, thanks. Like, it seriously happened to me several times. And it's like, I don't think I've ever interacted with you before, but <laughs> And that's the thing. Like, I've thought about doing that, but then I'm like, you know what? I don't even have time to mow my own lawn. <laughs> yeah, You know, like, I tried to mow my lawn the other day. In the middle, I'm like, okay, I got off work. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I got dressed. I ran home, got, like, completely changed, got the lawnmower. Like, I, go get it. Oh, no gas. Ran to the, I ran to the gas station, got gas, came back home, Put gas in as soon halfway mowing my lawn. I lo like mowed the half of it. Yeah. Started just well, torrential downpour. I'm it's like monsoon season. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. So all right, so um, so I think we're I think we're right in saying that. So what we've gotten at is that outside motivation is kind of a false motive motivation. Motivation. Um, I believe so. Yeah. It doesn't because yeah, if it were taken away you would still have some kind if this idea of temporary happiness or like relaxation or vacation <laughs> time which is uh dangled in front of us um that's not the real motivation you know um people would still want to do stuff if everything's you know they didn't have to um if it wasn't about relaxation and relaxation in and of itself like what you're advertise like you know you could spend well this is funny for you what i was gonna say is a week in jamaica yeah. <laughs> um i could go back home <laughs> so, or like you know yeah. wherever um these ideas are like people work towards you know like oh i'm working of course to live my day-to-day -day life but i'm saving up to do this thing with my family uh if that was their life they wouldn't enjoy it it would become boring and pointless uh and they would have, you have to have some kind of motivation to do something else something different, yeah. well here's the thing think about it from the standpoint that we do all this stuff i, I think our economy has evolved into this like different people having to create different things like to for us to buy in order for them to buy other stuff you know, like, it's so, it's so strange that, like, most of the stuff we have, we don't need. Like, we have enough money to be able to take care of most of the things that we need to take care of. Just within, you know, our regular everyday lives. Yeah. But we have all this other stuff. Like, really just use, useless stuff. For what reason? We're, what is driving us to get just insignificant useless crap? Yeah, I saw advertised today uh, a fidget spinner with the photorealistic picture of a butthole on it. The whole fidget spinner was one giant butthole. Why? Well, actually, the center where you put your um, two fingers was the butthole. The rest was like a flesh. I that is so weird. I. I I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm on the fence about fidget spinners, to be honest. Oh, I, I think they're fun to play with. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah and that's the thing that, like, kind of, that throws me off is that at first I was just like, oh, this seems kind of silly. But then I'm just like, well, maybe there's something to this. I don't know, like, you know, if it helps people with something, whatever. But then you have all this wave of haters that are just like, oh, this doesn't do anything, it's so terrible. I'm just like, if it is a placebo effect and it makes somebody feel better, why do you hate on it? It doesn't matter if it supposedly does what it says it does if it makes people feel 
better and it makes them feel like something is helping them to get centered or whatever it does, let them have it. It's not hurting them. Yeah. You know, like, I don't, um, I don't really get the whole, like, you, you know, know. what the motivation behind the woman who invented the first fidget spinners was? Mm -hmm. uh, she visited Israel and saw the Palestinian children throwing rocks at Israeli soldiers and invented the fidget spinner to distract their hands. Um, she mm. couldn't market it to anyone. She had several meetings with toy companies <clears throat> and no one wanted it uh, afterwards. So she sold it at like Florida Craft Fair. She's from Florida. Mm. And then after the patent went out, a couple toy manufacturers started um, producing them without crediting her. She's like not upset about it, which surprises me. That's um, but yeah, she invented them in 1993. Wow, really? Yeah, and they're just now that becoming is huge. So crazy. Um, sorry for that. No, 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 no. That's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought it was a fake news story when I read it. I was like, okay, these things are getting ridiculous. <laughs> and then I was, like, I read it's on Wikipedia. It's on like a couple different news sources. Oh, but you know, it's funny that kind of goes against the whole narrative that money should be a motivator because you think that she'd be pissed that she'd want her, her like, yeah, piece of the pie because I mean, it really is. Yeah, well, they made millions and millions. Wow. Off of fidget spinners now, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere. They're in every gas station. I went to Hawaii on vacation, and I swear, every place I stepped in had their own fidget spinners. Like, Maui, <laughs> fidget spinners, sunset, sea turtle, like, every <laughs> single theme. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah, it's hard to comprehend. <laughs> so her motivation was to help someone. Uh, and, I mean, that's, we're not going to talk about the conflicts there or anything yeah, or the greater implications but so yeah that was her simple motivation in creating a toy like this um, and I mean I guess she wanted to sell it to toy companies and make money and stuff but I, I don't think that's why she invented it to begin with I think it could have just been I mean and I don't really know her so I can't really say but it might have been a like distribution thing like if I get with a toy company they can produce them and spend them farther than I'd be able to on my own oh yeah uh, so, I don't know Seems like a noble, noble intention, but you know, <clears throat> we're told that money should be enough of a motivation to to do whatever it is. And like I can, I can speak from experience that you know I've had a couple jobs in which I made a decent amount of money and I was miserable. And I think that I prefer doing something that I enjoy doing every day. Having a little bit extra money while it affords me a little bit more opportunity here and there, it is soul-killing, and it is almost not worth it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, so another interesting thing about motivation mm -hmm. is I saw this study uh, where they... Um, what are those things called that are... They kind of look like Legos, um, like bionics or something? You know what I'm talking about? Kinetics. Is it kinetics? I kinetics, think it's kinetics. Yeah, okay. something like that. So we'll say kinetics. Connects. So connects. Uh, maybe it was something else. Maybe <laughs> it was Legos. Um, but they had people, they had these test subjects, and they were like, hey, will you build this thing for $3? They said, yes, okay. They would build it. And then they'd be like, all right, will you build another one for two seventy-five? And they're like, okay, sure. And they'd do it. And then they'd be like, all right, will you build another one for two fifty? And they just kept going and going. 
I'm getting less and less money, you know, and trying to see how much money motivated them in that. And so they did two different um, experiments. They told the people that it was going to be destroyed. Um, one group of people, they were like, after you're, we're done with this experiment, we're going to destroy this. And they would see how many they would go through. And the second group of people, so oh, in the first group, after they built it, they would set it on the table. They keep building and set them on the table, knowing they're going to be destroyed at the end. The second group of people, after they built the first one, and say, all right, do you want to build another one? They say, sure. They would start building the second one, and they would disassemble the first one. And then so for the third one, they would have to rebuild the first one. So they destroyed it in front of them, basically. Um, and those people ended up building, uh, on average, four less little things huh. than the people who didn't see it destroyed in front of them. And I thought that was really interesting. Also... In the people who did not see it destroyed in front of them, their the uh, in their little questionnaire, if they naturally liked uh, like Legos and puzzles more, they built more. The people who it was destroyed in front of them, the people who naturally liked Legos and puzzles and stuff, built the same amount as the people who didn't care for Legos. It was as if. It destroyed the fun for them. Watching it being destroyed took away even their natural joy huh. of the product. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. What it says about motivation is like, what, like it seemed to me to point that you want this lasting, this idea that there's permanence. So even if you don't, I don't know, because they knew it was going to be destroyed, but seeing it destroyed just made it pointless to them. Well, I think that's because people want to do something meaningful. And even if you do something, and the work that you put in, if once it's, like, disassembled in front of you, it renders that work to a certain extent moot. Right, right. Why did I do, just do that? Why did I spend time doing that? Because it, it, it's gone now. It's it was pointless. Yeah, even though they were still getting money, they, in, they, t they built less of them. The money didn't matter as a motivating factor. The, so people, and it's one of the, the things about, like, supposedly about millennials, which I we can go into. Actually, I think we should do a, a, a podcast on, uh, on generations, because I don't we'll get all into that. But the thing about millennials, like, though, they want to do some meaningful work. They want to do a job that actually creates something or is does something meaningful. So um, it's, it's um, harder to get, supposedly it's harder to get this generation to just do what is generally considered menial and meaningless tasks. Yeah, I feel like I really dislike doing meaningless tasks. Uh, that's something, that's like a, a radicalizing notion from my youth is this concept when I was uh, like 16 years old, I was hit with the realization that almost definitely if I follow this path that seems to be the path laid out in front of me, like I'll just get into debt, go to go to get into debt, going to school to get a job that I don't really care about that won't pay me enough money to not to like rise above having a job, and be in this cycle of stuff. And you know, like that's not to say I think all education is bad or anything. Even though I dropped out of school, I like got of college, um, but it was because I had that overwhelming like it started at 16 and it kept going like and got stronger and stronger of me being like 
no, the world is full of meaningless jobs. It would be better to be broke and be living an interesting life. Um, uh, here's, and I wish I had that realization at 16 because I've had conversation with my, my friends now and it's just like, you know, and my, my younger brother, I'm like, you know, it's very frustrating going, getting to this point where you're like, I did all the things that I was supposed to do. I did, I did okay in school. I went to college. I got a degree. I got a job. And it feels as though I'm still barely ahead of where I would have been had I not. And I'm actually also have this tremendous, like, you know, amount of debt on my head. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, you did all the things you're supposed to do. And what you, you have to show for books. it, you know? Yeah, and it's just like, eh, did it make a huge, I don't know, I, I can't, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Would I, if I had not done it, would, would I, where would I be now? I don't know. You know, so yeah. the current job that I have, which is the highest paying job I've, I've had um, before I was a bachelor's degree. So would I still have this job? And at the end of the day, would it even matter? Right. So, you know, it's very interesting, you know, and, and then you go, like, you know, I talk to a lot of people. Is, is, I mean, but what motivated you to go to school in the first place or finish school? What do you think? Um, I think that I had the idea that if I didn't finish, that I would not be able to, number one, I'd already started accumulating debt. So I needed to right. somewhat secure a way to oh. pay for that debt, first of all. And That's the stick. Yeah, and the thing is that, like, if you look at it from the standpoint that, and it's, it's kind of sad when you think about it, like I was talking to a, a good friend of mine that I've known for since middle school, it's just like, imagine how crazy it was that when we were in, like, high school, like, the ultimate goal was just to be like, I want to make $40,000 a year! Like, that seemed like <laughs> such a tremendous amount of money to us back then, it was just like, if I can make $40,000, i will be okay, I'll be good! And it's just like, wow, we were dumb! <laughs> like, we were so, we were so naive! And you get to this point where it's just like, It's just a whole nother, like, level of working to live. Yeah. You know, you're not, or, or, or living to work, whatever, whatever. It's, it's just you're, you're doing all these things just to maintain your, your existence. Are you really enjoying life? Are you really doing, are you really, you know, making any memories? Are you really um, able to experience anything so this kind of touches on the you sent me a clip a couple days ago um from the adam curtis documentary hypernormalization mm -hmm. and uh yeah he, he puts forward this idea of your real job is to shop um, mm -hmm. and so like that would of course be like consumer goods like clothing and whatnot but the food the shelter the <laughs> education the ideas um it's all shopping in a large sense yeah. uh that's kind of like that that whole thing built up uh your motivation is to be able to buy things yeah um and to and that yeah and that includes your basic needs <laughs> like food and shelter um and if you're really rich you can buy safety like uh put gates <laughs> on your neighborhoods or get away from the poor people <laughs> and then you know the whole the whole thing that's funny about that is just like 
if there was more equity, more you know equity, then there would be less need for safety. And if you can't <laughs> see me, I'm doing I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> there would be less need for safety if there was more equity. Um, I think it's very interesting that you have a lot of people that are consolidating this wealth, and they're just like you know hoarding it and like you know locking it up, and it's just like if you're and I, maybe I'm maybe I'm just like you know maybe I just believe in people a little bit too much. If I have what I need, there's no need to go try to get it from somebody else. You know? And you look at areas where the the income is more like I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you, you tax and redistribute. I'm saying that people are able to make a de more people are able to make a decent living. The crime is basically non-existent. If I can go get a job that affords me the ability to get all the stuff I need, yeah, I, you know, you know, why do I need to go rob anybody when, yeah, what I'm doing now affords me the ability to live. Yeah, the motivation for petty crime like robbing and stuff is often that false happiness. And so we're talking about consumer goods and whatnot. Like, if I could have these things, which I don't now. It will, and I'm sure they don't think of it this way in their conscious minds, like the robber. Mm. Um, like, hey, I'm going to satisfy that hole in my life <laughs> when I get this big screen TV. But, you know, it's like, if I have these things uh, that I see others have who have this happy life, mm. maybe I'll have this happy life. And, yeah, it perpetuates the system. So then the other people hoard their items. They get more and more uh, secluded and bored more and more and then people are trying to take it from them to get this false sense of happiness that they think they have <laughs> it's 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 very interesting to try to figure out you know what drives people to do what they do um, because at the end of the day most of the stuff is internal and it's just trying to figure out you know what just trying to figure out like what you need to do to keep that drive going. I don't really know what it is, and it's almost like chasing this elusive, like you know, state of mind. Yeah. Where like, um, <clears throat> the other day I just got up and I was like, I'm gonna go do some yard work today, and I got a lot of stuff done in a very short period of time, and. I feel as though, like, I look around at so many other days where I had the same amount of time and I didn't do anything. Because right. I'm just like, you know what? I'm never going to be able to get that done in the time that I have allotted. <coughs> and it's just like, I just never tried. Yeah. What made me decide that day to go do something? I don't know. I mean, I had energy. I was, you know, I got off work and, you know, I didn't really have too much of a stressful day. It might be more outside stressors. It might be when I, when I have a good day. I have more energy and I do more stuff. Yeah. But I don't know what makes that click in my own my own, my own head. Yeah, it's like an automated process by your body almost. How do you bottle motivation and sell it to the masses? I bet there's a bacteria that promotes it. <laughs> more than likely, there's a bacteria that does everything. Yeah. Or it's a crystal. Maybe it's a crystal. I don't know. I think we got to market um, stuff. Super motivation vitality. You can only get it through across the aisle. <laughs> if you can see me, I just ripped off my shirt. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, fantastic. We'll be rich. All right. So you want to talk about generations next time? Yeah, let's do that. I think that um, I actually was watching, and which is probably one of my favorite shows, uh, which is uh, um, Adam Ruins Everything. I've only watched it here and there. Should I, I watch it more? Yes. I think okay. that, and the thing is that don't take everything that it says as like gospel, but listen to it and then follow up because they're very, very good about like following up their facts. Like if they're saying, stating something, they'll pop up the source or they'll have an expert come in and talk about it. You can follow that information to see whether or not it's <laughs> accurate. So um, I really like it for that and it, it's really good to follow up on the information and kind of draw your own conclusions. But um, I was, you know, watching, um, you know, Adam Roots everything and a thing about like how generations aren't really a thing. Right, right. They're like a sociological mm. category, right? Yeah, it's like it's very, very interesting. I mean, it's like you know, basically, whoever ends up um, getting to name this generation makes a whole bunch of money because of the uh, books and motivational talks or whatever. How you, uh, you know, deal with this generation, whatever. So it's, you know, just like most of the stuff in this country is, is driven by by money, but. Um, I'm going to send that to you. I want you to watch it, and then, you know, we can kind of get some more information, and we'll talk about it next time. I think it'll be a very interesting discussion, because I feel like so many millennials hating on millennials, and yeah. then so many, like, older people that are hating on millennials for the things that, like, their generations, and they currently still do. Like, one of my favorite uh, pictures is, like, um, there's a, one of my favorite memes is, like, oh, all these millennials are always on their phone, and you have, like, a picture from, like, the 19th, 30s and everyone on the, the train, everyone's looking at a newspaper and no one's having conversations with each other. Yeah. It's just like, it's just another form of distraction. The, the cell phone has replaced the newspaper, has replaced something else. You know, there like, really were people who, I mean, you can still find it, that complained with the mass printing that this was going to stop socialization. People would no longer talk to each other. The same arguments. So, yeah, I think it's, it's really, really funny. We're still making the same. It's just, it's the same things over and over again. But I like to um, talk about, you know, um, millennials. I'm, cause I'm, I don't even know. I'm technically a millennial, I guess. You're, yeah. I was born in 83. Yeah, you so, are. Like, you're I'm a millennial, a cusper, kind yeah. of a weird thing. But, like, um, you know, how, are my, how I feel like my generation fits in. And I think, like, millennials are getting a bad rap. And... I want to talk about, you know, how we talk about generations anyway, so yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. And Zach will be back, because I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, Zach was missing. Uh, <laughs> um, he's, he's doing Zach stuff, so... Like, on the cusp of not being a millennial, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, what is his generation? I don't even know I mean, I think is. he's a millennial. I'm pretty sure I, Zach's going to call me an idiot next time. He was <laughs> born in 92? God, man, I feel so old. So we have, like, an older millennial, I'm 33, yeah, and, you I'm know, 28, and so I'm eight, you're right born in 88. I feel so like I'm the, the average millennial. And Zach, you know, is 21. Yeah. So um, it'll be an interesting discussion. So uh, I guess I'll see you next time. Um, you know, uh, this is Kaysen. And Adam. <laughs>